This recording is a production of Faith Builders Educational Programs. This presentation was recorded at Teachers Week 2016, held at Faith Builders on August 1 through 5. Okay, good afternoon. It is time or past time to get started, so we'll do that. If you didn't get handouts, there are still several left at the back of the room. Seven Actions of Inspiring Teachers. I'd like to start with a story about Mr. Whitson. Mr. Whitson taught sixth grade science. On the first day of class, he gave us a lecture about a creature called the Cattywampus, an ill-adapted nocturnal animal that was wiped out during the Ice Age. He passed around a skull as he talked. We took notes and later had a quiz. When he returned my paper, I was shocked. There was a big red X through each of my answers. I had failed. There had to be some mistake. I had written down exactly what Mr. Whitson said. And then I realized that everyone in the class had failed. What had happened? Very simple, Mr. Whitson explained. He had made up all the stuff about the cattywampus. There had never been any such animal. The information on our notes was therefore incorrect. Did we expect full credit for incorrect answers? Needless to say, we were outraged. What kind of a test was this? And what kind of a teacher? We should have figured it out, Mr. Whitson said. After all, at every moment he was passing around the cattywampus skull, in truth a cat's. Hadn't he been telling us that no trace of the animal remained? He had described the amazing night vision, the color of its fur, and any other facts that he couldn't have known. He had given the animal a ridiculous name, and we still hadn't been suspicious. The zeros on our papers would be recorded in his grade book, he said. Mr. Whitson said he hoped we would learn something from this experience. So, it has been said that mediocre teachers tell, good teachers explain, and great teachers inspire. So, you're probably here to be inspired, but what does that mean? So, the definition I'm going to use today for inspiration is, inspiration sparks a response that initiates action. Inspiration sparks a response that initiates action. Therefore, inspiring teachers spark a response that initiates action on the part of our students. But this begs the question, of course, what response or action are we looking for in our students? Learning, right? Learning is an action verb, so we can't just assume that our students are going to sit there and learn while we talk about whatever comes to mind, because let's face it, a lot of us teachers like to talk uh, sometimes about whatever comes to mind. We need to plan what actions we will take and require our students to take that will inspire them to learn. Remember, a good analogy for learning is starting a fire. So it takes you as a teacher to spark the fire, but there do need to be some supplies there in order for the fire to burn, some fuel, some content, and make sure the conditions are right for that burning to occur. It'll just flame out. Now, before we look at these actions, I want you to understand that by inspiring teacher today, I'm not sure what you came expecting to hear, but I don't mean someone that's uh, bouncing off the walls and jumping around all excited. If, if that's you, that's fine. There are many different styles um, of teachers. Any number of styles can be okay. You can be a rabbit, 
a tigger, an owl, and you can still inspire your students. So we're not talking about uh, inspiration as something hyped up today. And neither am I talking primarily about character qualities, as in these are spiritual qualities you should have, although you should have good character. But there are three uh, on your handout, three character qualities that I think are unique and important for teachers to have. So I couldn't resist talking about each of them a bit before we get into the seven actions. So first of all is enthusiasm. Enthusiasm means enthused. This is capitalized because this is from theos or God. So it literally means being God-filled. I hope that you are filled with God every time you step into your classroom so that you can be used by God. I believe that the learning that occurs in your brain or your students' brains is literally the Holy Spirit working in those synapses and connections to magically, if I may say, uh, by the Spirit, make connections happen in your brain. So it is important to have enthusiasm in the classroom and going to the root, that literally means being filled with God. I think humor is also important, so here's a little for you, iPhone, YouTube, and then here's a guy that really backed himself into a corner. So it's good to have a laugh every once in a while. Now the historical definition here means one of the four fluids thought to determine a person's well-being. That's from way back, if you're familiar with the Greek's idea of what makes a human. So uh, I'd like to take to attach to this thought and say humor should be flowing through you. Well-being should be flowing through you, right? We talked about being filled with God. And if you're going to be in, inspiring to your students, it's important that you be upbeat and positive. And humor is one way to express that and to communicate that to your students that every once in a while some humor flows through to inspire your students. And lastly, creativity. A definition here, developing original ideas that have value. You need to be creative yourself as a teacher if you want your students to think on their own and go further than you did and solve unique problems that are coming up in, in their world today that their generation will need to solve. So hopefully you already have these three character qualities and many more, and now you know what an inspiring teacher is, right? But let's look at the seven actions that inspiring teachers should take. And these are all on your handout, so I guess I can leave now, right? You know the actions. Okay. None of you left. Good. All right. Action number one. Teach with learning in mind. Inspiring teachers teach with learning in mind. And there are four steps I'd like to go through here. The first is... Experience. When you plan your lesson plans, you should go through these four steps. And this is a little lesson on learning here and how learning occurs. Teach with learning in mind. Experience is necessary, but not sufficient. We're all being inundated with data in school, and sometimes we need a break. In fact, they say that students need a break every so many minutes, the age of the child, plus or minus two, can depend on the time of the day. So if you're working with first graders, you need, and they're six years old, they need a break from being inundated with new experience and data every 
six minutes or somewhere around that area. So it can increase as you go up through school, but we all need a break at some point and time to transition process to something different. So sometimes we just stop here with the idea that learning is dumping information on them and they should remember it and then we go home. But we need to move beyond this and process. In fact, if you don't choose to focus in on something, your brain will zone out within 200 to 500 milliseconds. So your brain can only take so much. I remember one of my FB classmates saying that being at Faith Builders was like being under a fire hydrant. So I hope you're not drowning this week. Take some time to process and visit with your friends about what you're learning. So we need to make sure in our lessons we move on to comprehension and give our students time to label, sort, and organize what they've just been presented with. Time for them to draw, label, do graphic organizers, questions, write. And trauma is effective, but not recommended. So you, uh, you could have the rod as years ago, or traumatic experiences can really help you comprehend things fast, but it's not a good approach for the classroom. But this step needs to happen. So you need to find ways to give them opportunities to comprehend things. And then we need to move on to elaboration. This is examining, recalling, connecting, and blending. So connecting what I've just been told, understanding what I've been told, and then connecting it maybe to something I already know. Uh, I have two colors up here. Uh, this is an example of elaboration. Blue and yellow make green. Aha! You elaborate and understand if you mix them, you get something new. And that's something we want to be happening in our students' brains, for them to make new connections. Another fact about your brain, 70% of all of your brain's sensory receptors are dedicated to vision. So awful lot of your neurons are dedicated to vision. So we have to work hard if we're going to be doing that, um, if we're going to be elaborating through words. So consider graphic organizers and ways for them to draw and to visually elaborate as well. And then finally, we move to application. But sometimes we move here too soon. And we need to give our students the processing time in the middle. And this application will really only help them when accompanied by feedback. So the first point I have here under application is practice. You need to give them time to practice. Something that is more skill-based, they need time to do that. So if you're changing a tire, that's more of a skill, learning how to swing a baseball bat. And someone should be there in the moment to give them immediate feedback if they're going to benefit from that application. Or if it's um, a more logical application and we give them an assessment, they should have feedback on that assessment. This is what you did well. This is, I liked what you wrote here. You could try this next time. For that to really benefit them, they should have feedback. So if you're an inspiring teacher, you'll make sure your students have this experience every class where they're not just given an ex data and not given time to process it, but you will give them opportunities to process it. And you might not move to application in the same day. 
it might take several days on some subject and uh, some lessons till you get to application. So now on your handout in the box, spend some time reflecting on what I just told you on this slide and think about how you can apply it in your classroom this year. So write something down. You can uh, use words. You can draw something, make a little chart or graph. Uh, if you like graphs, graph out four steps in a little visual there at the bottom. And I'll give you a minute or two to process here what you just heard. And an important part of this process is sometimes for the teacher to be quiet. Give students time to do this. And for teachers like me, that can be hard to stand around up here. I think I should talk. I see a lot of you were using words. Anybody, did anybody not write any words but just did visuals? Anybody have pictures? A couple? Okay. Good. So hopefully you're getting the point that when I talk about being an inspiring teacher, I don't necessarily mean jumping up and down and just bringing exciting things in the classroom to entertain them. We're not talking about entertainment as much as if you craft your lessons well, they will be inspired, think back to our definition, to take action themselves. They'll be inspired to learn rather than just being entertained. Now, elaborate, moving on, by telling a neighbor, turn to someone close to you and elaborate by telling them how you are going to apply what you just learned in your lesson plans this year. Go. All right, well, I'm sure you could continue discussing all afternoon, but we're going to have to move on. So continue thinking and processing that. Uh, another example some of you may have heard me use before with this is the toolbox analogy. When Johnny goes to school and he learns something that day and comes home to the supper table, Dad says, Johnny, what did you learn today? He said, we learned what screwdrivers are. So what's a screwdriver? A screwdriver is a thing that turns something. All right, that's all the further he's gotten. He had this experience, data, screwdriver, turn something. Um, so what does a screwdriver do? Well, you can use it to turn screws out. You go counterclockwise to take them out, clockwise to put them in. That's comprehension. He has some understanding what to use it for. Now, elaborate. Um, can you use screwdrivers to do anything else, to pry things or open paint can lids? Nope, you can only use them for... So if he hasn't gotten the elaboration process, he won't think of or know that you can use screwdrivers in other ways besides turning screws. And then finally, application is testing him either through essay to explain how to use a screwdriver or to give him the feedback and make sure that he has it on there at a 90 degree angle and is holding firmly but not too hard and all these other little things. So make sure your students are going through these four processes if you want to inspire them. Action number two, teach with students in mind. Sometimes we get so caught up in our content that we just want to go in and deliver it and um, you don't have to raise your hand, but could you teach to an empty room? Would it matter if students were there? Would you just go in and deliver and then, okay. So our first point here is synergy. There's a synergy that comes 
from being part of a group with a common goal or task, and we need to capitalize on this. We are social creatures, so our students, as well as all of us, enjoy being part of a group that is working together. The work of several can even produce more than the sum of each individual on their own. Think about youth group activities. Youth groups don't really care what they do as long as they're doing it together, right? Might be stretching it a little bit, but, you know, this time we're playing volleyball, and next time we're taking funny pictures of each other, but we're doing it together, and there's a synergy, you know. So our, especially high school age, they're getting to that age where they want um, that interaction, and we need to capitalize on that. They have social needs. Students need to be learning with others, and we need to remember this as you are planning your lesson. Studies show that when students' social needs are met, they have an increased desire to learn, get better grades, and have better behavior in general. So just telling our students to sit and listen will not turn them into lifelong learners or inspire them to action. The student will be engaged when the student is part of the learning process instead of just the object. So consider your students' social needs when planning every lesson if you want to be an inspiring teacher. This is key to their being motivated to learn anything more than just what is required to pass the test. And all of us are concerned about student motivation, right? We want intrinsic motivation. This is key, making sure their social needs are met. Are met. I think this is probably the biggest adjustment we need to do entering the 21st century, working with these youngsters who are socially connected all the time. In fact, they're more so connected with others they don't even know who they are themselves. Um, students are coming into our schools with phones, right? Or do you have them park them at the door? So we need to, this, there's still a rule for the teacher today, right? You need to inspire them. Uh, even if they think they're smart enough because they have a smartphone. You need to inspire them and guide them in their thinking to learn for real and not just trust the latest post on social media or the latest website that came to the top of the list. So a major goal of our schools is for students to grow socially as well as academically and spiritually. So here are three techniques to get you started. Collaborative techniques for that you can try to meet the social needs of your students. And there are many more, but I'm just giving you three examples here. We could spend a whole workshop or a series of workshops on different collaborative techniques, and you should research them on your own sometime. So turn to your partner or think, pair, share are similar. Turn to your partner. Um, this allows your students to process a little bit. You just turn, as I told you to do earlier, turn to someone, say something, and discuss something. Think, pair, share is where you require them to think to themselves, think, think to themselves first for a little bit before they pair up with someone and share with that person and listen to them share. Uh, another example, Venn diagram. How many of you are familiar with a Venn diagram? Okay, good. Most of you, but some may not be. So make sure you try this sometime. A Venn diagram consists of two circles, and you can do this together as a class, or you can have them do it in small groups, or have them do it individually. So you draw two circles, and 
This is something about students. Say we're going to compare students and teachers. This is we list things about students, we list things about teachers, and then we list things in here where they overlap. So they both go to school. These are young, these are old, whatever. So it gives them an opportunity to process, and it's something that they can do in groups that gives them um, a chance to meet their social needs. Sims and diffs is similar but different. Um, you can one way to do it is with a flower. So the center is something that's similar. We can do sims and diffs about Teachers Week. We're all teachers, maybe. And then we list differences on petals of the flower. And maybe you're a better illustrator than I am. But uh, so I could divide you into small groups and you're all at Teachers Week. That's something that you share. And then what is different? We have men and ladies. We have young and old. We have pink and purple. We have people who drive cars. We have people that have ridden bike or whatever. So about the subject you're studying, you can have them do activities like this. So that helps both with, in point number one, our processing goal, as well as meeting their social needs. And then, of course, small group discussions um, where they discuss something, report back, or um, report about a person, different people, or do a little role play. You're learning about uh, a couple different things in history class today. Assign different groups to research different parts of that and present different parts of it to the class. This meets their social needs and draws them into learning more, inspires them to take action themselves, and then you can continue with more instruction either before or after this wherever you feel it fits. So, search for more on your own. Um, there are definitely a lot out there, especially uh, when it comes to review. Now, circle one of these that you think you'd like to share, try in your classroom this year, and then turn to someone beside you and compare and share what you circled. Give you a little bit of time to circle if you haven't yet. It doesn't have to be the best one, just circle one you think you should try. All right, now turn and prepare and share. All right, hopefully, you got a chance to share something. We don't have time to discuss them as much as we should. We need to move on to point number three. So, you understand so far? You need to make sure that you're planning your lessons, that learning is going to occur. You know what actions your students are going to take. And number two, their social needs are going to be met. Number three, make sure you teach with relevance. If you can't explain how it's relevant, forget it. Think about it. Isn't that the job of the teacher? Isn't that why you're there? Why didn't I just leave the handouts at the back of the room and leave? I prepared this for you. You read it, okay? I need to break it down, make it relevant to your classroom, right? This is why you get paid the big bucks, folks. <laughs> now, the dropout rate in the United States in general from school is still about one-third. And almost half of those who were surveyed of dropouts said the number one reason they dropped out was because class wasn't interesting enough. Another top reason was that they didn't think they would ever use what they were being taught. Why are we teaching people something 
without telling them how they're ever going to use it. This seems to be especially important for middle schoolers. They're really at the questioning, challenging stage, right? You need to really work with them on this. And if any of you were in here for the session this morning, my wife and I did, and you heard her story, she was working with middle schoolers uh, in that music class. So elementary students, uh, they're just there to belong and connect. And high schoolers, they might still wonder, but they tend to be a little more goal-oriented, and if they want to, they can actually see how, you know, accounting class would apply to the real world if they want to. So it's important for you to help them see how it's relevant if you want them to put their emotions uh, into learning. Let me read to you from Real Talk for Real Teachers by Rafe Esquith, where he talks a little bit here about relevance. So typical answers you might get from students... Why are you writing this essay? I have to. Why are you outlining this history chapter? There's a test on Friday. Why are you studying those vocabulary words? They're going to be on a test. Saving the best for last, my favorite answer is to why are you doing this is, I don't know. If you approach one of the students in my class and ask, why are you doing this? He will answer with the following sentence. If I learn this skill, my life will get better. He has his students trained to know if I learn this skill, my life will get better. I tell the students constantly that in my class, they will be learning things they will use in their lives. I'm not teaching them to get ready for a test. The test is only to see if they understand the material, but it has no connection whatsoever with why they are learning to calculate or write an essay. Relevance is the key to truly motivating students for the long run. Superficial dangling carrots such as grades, prizes, and parties may work temporarily, but creating activities that are truly motivating that your entire classroom will run more efficiently and calmly, try as much as possible to introduce this concept in every lesson you teach. When I teach students decimals, I ask them, why are we doing this? I wait until the students are able to answer. If we understand decimals, our lives will be better. When will we use them? And then I read to them an article from the newspaper about a patient in a hospital who died because someone put a decimal point in the wrong place and he was given 10 times too much of a prescribed medication. The students gasp. So let's be clear, I tell the kids. Understanding decimals can actually be a matter of life or death. <laughs> let's get to work. And then some things are more general, like reading class. Now, what is this story? Do we only read stories so that we can learn how to read, so that we can read road signs or what? Well, also, Rafe teaches his students that all great books are about them. One of his former students went to 10th grade English class and told his Rafe, his former teacher, that there were 40 students in his class. They were told to go home and read the book, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, and prepare for a multiple choice exam two weeks later. This student took an anonymous survey of his high school class. Two students actually read the book. The other 38 went online, read notes. All 40 students passed the exam. So they all knew to kill a mockingbird, right? Although 38 of them had never read it. So the students missed an opportunity here. You need to teach them 
that there was a reason to read the book. It's about you. You missed an opportunity. We need to break this down for our students. So, <clears throat> before we go on here to students' interest, I want to say we have to recognize that not everything will be as relevant as something else. The spelling of Wednesday, for instance. Why do you really need to know that? Well, everybody else uses the spelling of Wednesday. So not all things are equally relevant. Some things do just have to be learned uh, for rote memory, and there's a value in rote memorization. But as much as possible, we need to work on relevance. So in students' interest, um, we need to be careful that we don't overdo this, but I'm thinking here about things like hunting. So in math class, you can give ex you know, hunting examples. Well, don't overdo it because not everybody in the class is interested in hunting. So use a variety of examples with student interest. And we need to move beyond this to teach them that it has relevance besides just something to interest them. So, but you can use uh, examples that relate to your students' experiences, their interests, things that they're interested in. Ask them questions like, how is this similar to or different than your own life? Does this remind you of something in your own life? And you can have them write about that, you could discuss it, etc. The teacher's interest brings you to the classroom. If you use an example from your life to illustrate the relevance of something, it gives your students a connection with you. But don't overdo this either, or they'll think you're, you know, always talking about yourself. I'm a firefighter, so I can bring examples in, stories about firefighting, and they enjoy that connection. But again, don't overdo it. Imaginary interest. This is thinking, uh, putting yourself in the shoes, even though you're not actually there. You can, with people, for instance, if you're studying a person, you can say, let's put ourselves, put yourself in their shoes. What advice would you offer him in this situation? You know, pause the reading. Um, what would you do in this situation? How would your life be different if this person, Mr. Edison, that we're studying about, if he had never existed, how would your life be different? Hmm. I guess I would have had to invent a light bulb, right? Imagine you were friends with the main character. Would you be pleased or disappointed with this action he just took that we read about? So these kinds of things, questions that I just asked, um, you could have them discuss them with the class, discuss with the partner or a journal entry uh, for tomorrow's class, etc. Or even more, stre more stretching under imaginary interest, imagine that you're a thing. Uh, you know, a person, we can sort of put ourselves in someone else's shoes, but imagine if you had to be either an adjective or an adverb. Which would you choose to be and why? And compare yourself to the other part of speech. Defend why you would rather be that one and why it's better than the other part of speech. And you'd probably want to do that in writing and give them time to, to write that in class or for tomorrow. Or... You are one of the Ten Amendments to the Constitution. Pick one that we just learned about because I gave them to you on PowerPoint, right? Experience. Boom. You just got them. So now you know the Ten Amendments. Pick one. Which 
Uh, and a vote is soon going to be taken to determine if you're going to be removed from the Constitution or not. If you're going to be eliminated. So justify yourself and explain why you are important enough to remain in the Constitution. So that means students have to understand, right? They have to n pick an amendment, know what it is, then understand how it works, how it's important, and then apply it, defend it, and explain why they, but see it makes it more relevant because they are the amendment. And finally, finishing up with field trips. I don't mean field trips for rewards or the end of the year or traditions that you already have. Those are good. I just can't resist saying make sure you go on some field trips throughout the year uh, to show your students learning occurs outside the classroom. Factory tours, they're harder to get in uh, than they used to be. Um, I try to get in a lot around our area that just don't allow tours anymore. But uh, the New Holland plant there, uh, where they make New Holland balers, if any of you are in that area, really good tour. Relevant. They can see how the assembly line works. And a lot of things can be seen there that you're trying to teach them in school. Or nature hikes, or going to museums. or uh, So by actually taking the time, my personal goal, which didn't happen last year, um, but we did have a school addition renovation going on. That's my little excuse. But uh, my dream would be to take students on a field trip every month of the year somehow, whether it's a service field trip. Um, it, I'm not necessarily even talking about an all-day field trip. You just go somewhere in the morning or the afternoon. It um, shows our students that they are important enough um, we will take the time, and I know field trips are work, right? We will take the time to take them out into the real world and connect for them how this is relevant for them. And if you can't do that, if you can't go, you can at least go out in your playground, collect stones and sticks, something you're studying about, or bring the outside world into your classroom uh, with pictures, artifacts, videos, etc. So, Remember, your students are inundated with information and they will zone out quickly within milliseconds if it's not meaningful to them and relevant to them. So, at the bottom of your paper, rule play. Here's the challenge. Pick something. It could be uh, frat. Let's use division. Or you can come up with an example on your own if you'd like. But if you can't think of anything else, I'll just tell you division. Uh, one of it doesn't. We won't have time for everybody in the group to do it. But with a partner or a small group, somebody in your group explain why division is relevant. Um, what are you? What would you tell your students? Why they need to learn division? Go. Okay, so some of these subjects are harder than others, but it can be hard, right? You teach division. You should learn how to divide numbers. Why? Um, because you should. You know, we, we have vans, and we're going to go on a field trip or a youth activity, and we have this many people, this many vans. We're going to cut this person in pieces or, or what. Um, it can be hard to actually explain why we do what we do, but as teachers, we need to spend time thinking about this. So... You can explain this to your students in order to inspire them. We need practice in this area in order to be inspiring teachers.
So next is encourage curiosity. And I'd like to introduce this with a study of 1,600 kindergarten children aged 3 to 5. They gave them eight tests on divergent thinking, and 98% scored within the creative genius category. Five years later, they tested the same children, now aged 8 to 10, only 32% were creative geniuses anymore. Five years later, they tested the same children, only 10% were creative geniuses. And in tests of over 200,000 adults over the age of 25, 2%. So what happens to creativity and curiosity, which is what this test was measuring in children? Don't they naturally come in? In fact, into school curious and what happens by 12th grade they can be so curious Uh, my children now Cedric's almost two and Shana's four they can ask so many questions except Cedric's not talking yet but uh, Shana can ask so many questions that it can get on your nerves right if for certain children what happens why aren't they curious anymore what are we doing one thing, perhaps, is that too often thinking, students' thinking is done for them. And we just give them all that information and experience instead of making them do the processing. Remember, you aren't supposed to tell them what you know. That's a mediocre teacher. Mark quote from the beginning. You can do that. You can tell them things, and, and there's a place for telling. But that's not all you should do. You need to go beyond. So... The first point here to encourage curiosity, we need to make sure we ask questions and there are questions uh, in the classroom. Jesus asked 288 questions in the Gospels and think about it, he already knew the answer to every one. So why did he ask the questions? The questions weren't for his benefit. As a teacher, you're not asking the questions for your benefits, for your students' benefit, to make them curious, to bring them along with you. In fact, Think of the material you want to teach, this content I have today. Think of it as the answer to a question. And by itself, the answer to the question is almost never interesting, right? I can tell you uh, John Wilkes Booth shot a guy. Now you know more than that, so some of you are smiling. But there was this guy who shot a guy. Who, who cares? You know, And, and you're st- you're, you don't care, don't you? No. It was Abraham Lincoln. He was the greatest president of the United States. And yeah, it, was, it was this great... Well, they don't care. Okay? If you haven't built the context for why that was such a climatic event, they don't care. So questions... Um, by Jesus using so many questions, he's helping us understand how questions are important to spark learning and engagement. So make sure you ask lots of questions. Number two here, respect their questions. Sometimes there aren't, there isn't room on our lesson plans for their questions. And truth be told, there isn't always time for that, especially in the elementary grades, right? Uh, but make room for them somewhere if they're valid. Maybe you can address their questions later. Maybe we can come back to that tomorrow. Maybe we can address that at the end of class. Maybe you can um, weave it into your lesson plan later. We need to make sure we don't shut down their questions. Their questions are valid. Don't shut down their curiosity. Allow choice. Studies show that choice is a high motivator. In fact, it doesn't matter as much what 
you're giving the students choices in as long as there's room for them to choose. They don't really care. You can give them a choice on what book they should read for the book report, um, which questions to answer. I remember here Mr. Russell's tests at Faith Builders, his essays, he would always give several and then say, pick one. And students enjoy that, just having that choice. You don't, they didn't have, we didn't have to answer all the essays, just pick two or something like that. Uh, or an alternative assessment. This week, instead of doing the test or for this unit, you may do a report or do a project or something and maybe you only have one or two students that will take you up on that but for them that might be uh, enough to make them motivated and aha moments are important because every aha moment i'm going to call it is rewarded in the brain literally your your uh, whatever's in your brain it will fire something to make you happy if you have an aha moment. So if curiosity is followed to a satisfying result, it has an inherent reward in the brain. And isn't this what we're looking for? Intrinsic, inherent motivation in our students. If you make sure they have aha moments where they discover something on their own and the light bulb goes on, they will want to learn more because they enjoyed that experience so much. It was fun. The pleasure pathways of our brain reward us when we solve something successfully much like an addict is rewarded when he eats or drinks or smokes again or whatever your addiction is it's the same kind of thing that's firing again but it's a learning is a good addiction right so get your students addicted to learning if you want to be an inspiring teacher it's your job to help make these aha moments happen more than it is to tell the student everything however need to know so, at the end of point four here, encourage curiosity, you have a box. Question. Does anyone have a question at this point that you'd like to ask? They aren't uh, choices. I go, I go to the fast food place, I'm just standing here. I have, what should I choose? Aren't questions and time daunting? Choices daunting? They can be. It, it, should, be, it should be guided. So, um, it's, there could be a problem with providing too many choices or not providing any guidance saying just come up with something you want to do. More like in the example I gave with Mr. Russell's essays, he actually worked out you know, four questions and you choose two of them. So it, it could be overwhelming but and some students might not enjoy it as much as others but I think they will enjoy if they have some room to, to choose. Yes. What about questions that don't pertain to the subject? <laughs> and you're thinking when they raise their hand and they have a question. About, right. Mm -hmm. That's part of what, when I was saying, maybe come back to it later or fit it in somewhere else. But sometimes their question, there is the fact that sometimes their question may be more important than what you prepared that day. Sometimes we as teachers think, what I have prepared today is the most important thing. Depending on what their question could be, if if it is more relevant to them and it's related to the subject. Now, what was did you ask if it's not related? I said if it's not okay, you said if it's not related. Um, if it's if it's not related at all, I would say come back to it later. We can talk about that after class or another time. Does that help at all? Yeah. 
Okay, going on point number five, celebrate failure. We don't do this enough in the West, probably because we think you're either smart or dumb. We tend to view intelligence in the West as something that you're born with, and you have this IQ, and you're going to have it for the rest of your life. And that is not true, according to brain studies. And according to our friends over in the Eastern Hemisphere, to them they understand that you can become smarter. So if a student is struggling, we would keep them away from the board so that nobody else sees them struggling because that means they're dumb and they would feel bad. In the East, the struggling student is the one who comes to the board, works through the math problems, and the students who know give him support and encouragement and help him through it so that at the end we all celebrate, he got smarter. Isn't that why we're in school? So don't assume that your students' IQs are set and they are either smart or dumb. We need to get rid of fear that they have of being wrong. We need to allow them to be wrong. When, because mistakes are how we learn. A little bit about your brain here. When expectations are met, that is when your brain, what your brain was anticipating matches reality, dopamine is released, which gives you a feeling of pleasure. So this is what I thought the answer was, and I'm right, yes, literally in your brain. But if the results don't match, it gives you disappointment. But the interesting thing is, through disappointment, your brain literally has a chance to rewire or re-weld the connection, but only if it's followed up on. So if we know that we're wrong and then we're met with fear or we're shut down, that's it. But if we're given feedback, encouragement, we can rewire that and learn something new. So mistakes are a chance to learn. Consider how many mistakes Thomas Edison had to make before he came up with his working light bulb. So consider what it means if you're talking along in class and you ask a question, what is the capital of Pennsylvania? And Johnny says, Philadelphia. You know, what do you do? No, that's not right, Johnny. Move on to somebody else. Maybe you should, or if you do have somebody else say the answer, come back and ask him again. Oh, you, you, that's not quite right. Let's see if somebody else knows. And then go back to John. So, Johnny, what is the capital of Pennsylvania? And that communicates, eh, that's okay. You didn't know it. Somebody else did, but we're going to connect again to you and, and have you say it or there might be a time for you to just say what the answer is. So we want to change strategies, not students. This is to emphasize what I was saying. Don't assume that your student is dumb, and I wish I had smarter students, or I'm trying to change the student. We're going to change the strategy. Um, the strategy, this strategy you're using... I don't have this up on the screen, but you could write this down as something you could say. This strategy you're using doesn't seem to be working. Let's figure out why and how we can change the strategy so that you can be successful. So they fail a test. They did something wrong. This doesn't seem to be working for you because obviously you failed or you got it wrong. So don't make it about them. Make it about what they did. Let's figure out what you did wrong. Fix it so that you can do better next time. Now, illustrate in your box at the end of number five. Just make a little drawing 
What to you is the main point um, of number five? Make a drawing to illustrate just something that popped in your mind while I was talking or illustrate the main point of celebrating failure. Okay, and again, we need to move on to number six, write to learn. Writing produces learning. When you write, you get smarter because you have to sift and organize your experiences. You have to reflect on significant ideas and organize them into something meaningful. And that's essentially, essentially steps two and three of our first action, right? Giving them time to process, sort, elaborate. So it's really giving them the chance to go to application. Writing is a means of learning. It also promotes curiosity, which we talked about, and develops cognitive functions such as memory. Few activities are as cognitively demanding as writing. It's easy to get lost in the flow of writing once you get started. Writing engages more areas of the brain and involves them more intensely than any other activity. Writing develops thinking abilities and increases student achievement in all contents content areas. So writing literally builds your brain. So we do a lot of writing, right? One study concluded that only 15% of time in school was spent writing. This is like a number one cardinal thing that we should be doing in school in order to learn we should be writing. And of that 15% time of time where the student was writing, only two, or two-thirds of that was merely copying. And so that doesn't really count as writing, where they're processing and creating something. By the way, studies show that typing does not equal writing. We're talking about writing with the fingers on the hands. Uh, does something to hand-eye or brain-hand coordination. So if this is the number one thing we should be doing in school, we should increase the percent of time that you're doing it. So how are you going to make sure your students write? Um, daily writing, I say here, is a full-brainer, sort of taking off of a no-brainer, right? So in today's class, these are some things that you could have them write, either in answer to questions or as essays or in a journal, if your students have a journal, or you could give them uh, an exit card. So your exit card today is going to be this little box here where it says write, I want you to write here in this box why student writing is important and how it relates to being an inspiring teacher. And we're running out of time, but <clears throat> you came in late, so I'm going to take another minute or two for my last point. And so I don't, yeah, you can do that for your homework. Make sure you give your students time to write. The last point is tell stories because stories connect left and right brain. That is, our emotions with um, rational side and connect to real life, which we talked about earlier as being something important. They're also formative. Um, it's almost like when we hear a story, it's almost like we had the same experience ourselves in our brain, but to a lesser extent, of course. Stories inspire us to take action. This is the best way to teach morals. A fact is just a fact until you fit it into the context of a story. This is why Jesus told so many stories. In fact, it says at one place, and from that point on, he spake to them only in parables. So 
I would like to finish with some stories, but I don't have much time. I'll just finish up with one, and I'll just let that box at the end open for you to collect stories from other people at Teachers Week here. Uh, make sure that if you want to be an inspiring teacher, you collect stories that you can share with your students. Also, I have the recommended resources up here that I have at the end of the list if you want to stop by and look at any of them. I don't know if they have them all in the bookstore or not. So the last story to finish up with, something you should do for your students is to be an inspiring teacher is to have teacher attitude like old Mrs. Cosby. A truck driver was eating his meal at the diner when the door opened and an old lady hobbled in and the whole dining staff stopped what they were doing and went over to help her and said, hi, welcome, how can we help you come over here? And he thought this was strange that the whole staff would stop by this, for this lady. And so he asked a question and here it turned out that this was a small community and she was an old retired teacher in that community and she had had most of the staff as her students. And they all still respected her many years later because she had teacher attitude. And the truck driver said, what do you mean by teacher attitude? And he was told the story. They went through a lot of teachers, and then one day she walked into their classroom and they looked at her and thought, we give her two weeks. But she was there for many years. The thing that changed it for them was when she came to the front of the class and one day and she had a whole packet for each of the students and she called them up by one one by one and gave them a packet of papers and what was written on the packet were things that they did well the guy telling the story said she commented on my courage how punctual I was how I could settle arguments if I wanted to and you know what happens when someone keeps telling you what you're good at well you begin to act as if it's true you start to learn to be better at that and you become what that teacher inspired you to be by telling you what you're good at. So that's what I'd like to leave you with today, to be an inspiring teacher, tell your students stories, and give them words of encouragement about what they were, are good at, and you will inspire them to become that way. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit thedocforlearning.org.